1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the latest on the Trump trials and tribulations. Uh, I have to talk about that uh, penalty that was imposed on Friday. You can't really be surprised given the kangaroo court nature of the proceeding in manhattan the combination of a attorney general who campaigned on getting trump she had her target then she was going to find a way to get him that's soviet uh combined with the antics of the judge during the proceeding combined with the unique use of this law to target this individual and his family business here was Trump reacting to the 355 million oh dollar fine 455 Please. when you include interest almost half a billion dollars in fines barring him from serving on a corporate board for the next 3 years barring him from borrowing from New York banks for 3 years of course this is going to be immediately appealed but this was his uh, more global commentary on the proceeding and what it says about the rule of law in this country.
2: New York state judge just ruled that I have to pay a fine of $355 million for having built a perfect company. Uh, Great cash, great buildings, great everything. It affects New York. It's mostly talking about New York, where we have a totally corrupt attorney general. She campaigned on the fact that I will get Trump, I will get Trump. Everybody's seen it, Leticia James. They've all seen it.
3: Well, will be
2: appealing, but more important than that. This is Russia, this is China, this is the same game. All comes out of the DOJ, it all comes out of Biden. It's a witch hunt against his political opponent, the likes of which our country has never seen before. You see it in third world countries, banana republics, but you don't see it here. So, I just want to say this. You build a great company, there was no fraud, The banks all got their money, 100 percent. They love Trump. They testified that Trump is great, great customer, one of our best customers. They testified beautifully. And the judge knows that. He's just a corrupt person. And we knew that from the beginning. We knew it right from the beginning because he wouldn't give it to the commercial division. This judge thought Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million and it's worth anywhere from 50 to 100 times that amount. So we realized that. He ruled against me before he even got the case. He ruled against me. He said I was guilty. He didn't know what I was guilty of before he even got the case. And Letitia James, that's another case altogether. She's a horribly corrupt attorney general, and it's all having to do with election interference. There were no victims because the banks made a lot of money. They made $100 million. And by the way, I paid approximately $300 million in taxes As the migrants come in and they take over New York, I paid over this period of years over $300 million in taxes, and they want me out. Oh, let's see if we can get them out. These are radical-left Democrats. They're lunatics, and it's election interfering. So I just want to thank you for being here. Uh, We'll appeal. We'll be successful, I think, because, frankly, if we're not successful, New York State is gone. 312-642-5600,
0: Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey turnkey.pro answer line six four six three six d a turnkey Pro text line
4: hmm let me get this straight so he got loans from banks and he, he repaid them with interest now there hmm. were some
0: there were some things that uh in the record that he did that uh could be uh subject to legitimate fines there were uh, inaccuracies and statements of financial conditions on properties uh but But I mean, the idea of this sort of uh, death penalty, as the Wall Street Journal editorial board opined, no cheerleader for Trump, generally speaking, this is like using a Hellfire missile to annihilate a shoplifter. And well, that's the point, annihilation. And by the way, um, first Letitia James, I mean, this is back in 2018, just to corroborate what Trump said and refresh your recollection.
4: I say one name, Donald
5: Trump. (laughs) That should motivate you. Will you
4: you sue him for us? Oh, we're going to definitely sue him.
5: We're going
4: to be a real pain in the ass. That's
0: that's 2018. uh,
4: Right. But why why would anybody want to do business in New York anymore? I mean, honest to God, I I felt sick to my stomach, and mostly for Eric and Donald Trump Jr. Eric Trump, well-respected in Chicago. Mayor Lightfoot sings his praises. She did all the time. And he can't do anything for two years. They can't take out any loans. They can't work. And they employ thousands of people. This this is a good family. You could not have a more professional real estate company than ours when COVID hit and they shut down every single hospitality company in the country. Guess who never missed a loan payment? Guess who paid all of their employees? Who Guess who always did the right thing? Guess who employs thousands of New Yorkers every single day, puts food on the table for their families, educates their, their children? You know, I mean, you have a lost state right now where you have businesses fleeing fling, fling, and you have a company like ours that have paid over $300 million in taxes to a city. My father built the skyline of New York City, and this is the thanks he gets?
0: Well, it's, there's going to be some collateral damage. Uh, sorry, Eric. It's three years, by the way. Uh, I thought it was
4: three for Trump and then two for Eric and Don. but I don't,
0: okay. Regardless, if they can't borrow money from New York City banks, they've, they've got a problem, yeah. not to mention the actual payout. But again, this will be appealed post-haste, as you heard President Trump say. The the, the uh, important part of this is the not the uh, formatics of it. It's what it says about right. the justice system. And what Trump failed to say there, as I keep banging this drum, is this is foreshadowing for any other trial that I am subjected to endure. So this case shocks the conscience this kid you can't believe this well just understand it will be the same thing with alvin bragg criminalizing uh the business records statute it will be the same thing in atlanta it will be the same thing in dc this these are um uh you know you know give me the man and i'll show you the crime prosecutions persecutions so understand something You want to have faith in the criminal justice system and the civil justice system. So do I. You want to believe in the even handedness of judges and the uh, good judgment of juries. So do I. But in this environment, with how radicalized the justice system has become, all hands on deck by any means necessary and justify the means to get Trump you can't you have to discount it knowing i'm telling you what will happen if and when these trials against me these additional trials against me are persecuted this is what will happen so you can't let that influence how you think about the 2024 election lest those same people who've undermined your trust in the justice system will win and and to borrow a favorite phrase of trump's we won't have a country anymore
4: no We won't. And Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. Just
0: hold hold, hold on on O'Leary. Letitia James. You have to hear from Letitia James. She's effectively the prosecutor in this case.
4: Yes, this is all her. Uh,
0: And this is what she said in her remarks after going through her pro forma. I'm Elliot Ness, uh, Bull Jive. This is what she
1: said.
6: Because the scale and the scope of Donald Trump's fraud is staggering.
1: And so, too, is his ego.
0: So when when you say and so too is his ego, gosh, um, you'll pardon me, uh, Madam Attorney General, if I don't uh, read something personal into this, not the dispassionate enforcement of the law, but a personal vendetta with Trump. What does his ego have to do with enforcement of the law, whether he was a man of few words and great humility, or he was a ringleader or, you know, sort of a a ringmaster like Donald Trump is in the public arena. What does that have to do with the underlying uh, legitimacy of the prosecution and enforcement of law? It has nothing to do with it. That was a tell.
4: I just don't know who I hate her more, her Bonnie Willis or uh, Bragg. I think,
0: um, I think Three Faun- Stooges. I think, I think Fawny Willis and Letitia James may be the same person. Oh,
4: okay. Well, one wears their dress the right way. The other one wears it backwards.
0: I saw, I was going to ask about that last because week. Because I have I that dress to.
4: in green. I have that dress in green. Everybody, if anyone goes to Nordstrom Rack, we all have that uniform. And hmm. you you have to wear, I mean... <laughs> The fact she wore it backwards, and then she took the tie that you wrap around your waist and put it forward. I mean, uh, this, maybe
0: she was uh, just uh, offering a tribute to
1: crisscross jump, <laughs> jump.
4: She does like Deuce the DJ.
1: This is Chicago's morning answer.
7: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between five and nine in the morning than you guys.
1: An AM five sixty. The answer.
8: Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, signaturebank.bank. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender, Signature Bank.
1: Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, the answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, we were talking about the uh, $355 million fine imposed on uh, Trump and his business on Friday by that New York uh, Civil Justice Court. And um, I love the response from uh, Kathy Hochul. Oh. She uh, she was on with uh, John Katsimides, uh on his radio program, and she said, look— um, New York business owners um, have nothing to worry about. Um, they sh- they, uh, they shouldn't be worried that, it, it, quote, if they can do that to the former president, they can do that to anybody. I think it's really ex- an extraordinary and usual circumstance that the law-abiding and roof filing New Yorkers, who are business people, have nothing to worry about because they're very different than Donald Trump and his behavior. Well, uh, that brings us to uh, Kevin O'Leary, you mentioned before the break, and uh, a little flashback. Kevin O'Leary, you know, from Shark Tank. No fan Uh,
4: of Trump's. I mean, he's a lib.
0: uh, He uh, had said this, you know, weeks ago before the adjudication of the case. But it bears repeating, as you say, somebody who is not a Trump acolyte, but understands how the real world works, including the real real
9: estate world, the real commercial real estate world in New York. Well, let's leave out Trump for a minute. And let's leave out politics and just talk about what happens in real estate development anywhere. So if you're a developer and you've got a building on on a block anywhere in America and it's worth, let's say, $500 million and you want to build a building right beside it, you go to the bank and say, this building is worth $500 million. I'd like to borrow a construction finance loan against this asset. And I want you to tell me it's worth $500 million too. And the bank negotiates with you and says, well, no, we think it's worth $400 million. And you fight it out. You're always trying to show your assets in the brightest light with the sunshine you could possibly determine for them. You want them to be worth the very most because you're only going to get a 40 or 50% loan-to-value, as it's called. Then you borrow that money. In the case of a $500 million asset, maybe you get $250 million and you build a new building with a construction finance loan. And so that's what this case is all about. What? And, and by the way, forget about Trump. Every single real estate developer everywhere on earth does this. They always talk about their asset being worth a lot and the bank says no. And That's just the way it is. So. In this case, when I'm trying to figure out, and I'm not pro or con, or I don't care about the politics, who lost money? Nobody. The bank got paid back the construction finance loan, and a new building was built. And if, if you're going to sue this case and win, you've got to sue every real estate developer everywhere. This is all they do. This is what they do all day long, every day. So I don't think this thing will ever survive appeal, regardless of what the fine is. This doesn't even make sense. Now, look, I know Trump's got a lot of problems in other indictments and everything else, but but this—if you're a real estate developer, you're watching this, you're saying, "What is this? This is ridiculous."
0: And that's exactly what real estate developers in New York were saying. And that's why the Kathy Hochul response is so interesting because it essentially concede the point. Hey, yeah. look, don't worry about this. Yeah, I got you. This is special for Trump.
4: I mean, she it, just admitted it was purely partisan political prosecution of Trump. That's what she did. Shame on her. Shame on all of this. This is so disgusting. I mean, where do we live in a communist country or fascist country? That's. I felt sick all weekend for Trump and his sons because so, this is not an America I want to live in.
0: So, again, you know, just the, the customary way of doing business. You try to inflate the value of your what property, as Kevin O'Leary was saying, and then when it comes property tax time, you hire— Ed Burke or Mike Madigan <laughs> to deflate the value of your property exactly. to get property tax relief. You may not like the, the game. I may not like the game, but that's how it's actually done. So if you want to change the rules of the game, I'm open-minded on the topic, but you have to do it prospectively, and it has to apply equally. That's how it works in a free society, or should.
4: And I love it because truckers are now talking about, you know, truckers are the, the backbone of America. They deliver all the goods. They're talking about... uh not delivering to New York City for three years and here is a black trucker who's wants to everyone to jump on board New
5: York New York New York our radios with out. Trump the- with Trump now the truckers ain't trying to deliver your produce your goods for three years oh. you' in New York you better get up out of there yeah I think groceries are high now. Y'all better respect Trump's gangsters, and y'all better respect that, that MAGA crowd. They're not playing. They're not playing. As you can see, they're not playing. Keep on around. You're going to find out.
0: Uh, I like the talk wrapping, Yeah, uh, there. That was nice. Bob and Buffalo Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning
7: Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for getting to me this morning. Question for you. There were no victims on this um, case, right? So who's getting the $355 million? The state.
0: That's the victim. Letitia James said, you know, this is, oh, the the, um, regular people were uh, essentially uh, heisted by Trump because of the allegations of his misrepresentation on the value of assets and so forth. So the $355 million, thanks for the call, Bob, if it's ever paid, would go to the state. The state's the beneficiary.
4: And then what? Go to house migrants? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or illegals. Yeah,
0: me. too precisely. Soon. Sorry. Per- yeah, yeah, precisely. You know, it, it go to the people they yeah. are most concerned about. Right. The people that <laughs> in this are in this country <laughs> illegally. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh huh. So just down in Atlanta, I know the it's going to be tough to top the testimony from Fawnie Willis last week, uh, but um, we did want to include Dad because. Dad, John Floyd, that's his oh name, Who an attorney in his own right, retired attorney, um, he testified as well. I, I guess it was on behalf of his daughter. It didn't sound like weird. it, though. Part of it was trying to – part of his testimony and the uh, cross-examination of him was focused on the timeline of the relationship uh, with Wade because of the argument back and forth about whether or not she and Wade misrepresented the nature of their relationship and the time along with the nature of their relationship. So, John Floyd was asked sort of about his whereabouts because I guess he spent part of his time living with uh, Fawny. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was when she was dating a DJ named Deuce, yeah, uh, yeah, he says. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I really <laughs> don't want to get any deeper into Fawny Willis's love life. Please don't make me. But um, But, John Floyd talked about how. He wasn't around uh, much in 2019 because of COVID.
4: Right.
0: Because he, knew, he knew. we
4: didn't.
0: Yes. He had a direct line to the Wuhan Virology Lab,
5: apparently. Thing. So I was just stuck. I was just stuck there.
6: I may be wrong, but I believe COVID hit in 2020. So I was asking about 2019. In 2019, did you spend any time in California? Before
5: COVID was even here in the United States. Remember, I lived in South Africa, and I've traveled the world. I knew COVID was coming before. I knew COVID was around before. They may have announced it in in twenty, but in fact, I knew about it and I knew what was happening uh, in nineteen.
4: He's clairvoyant. He just knew. knew. Uh, He's a worldly man, Dan. All right, John. He's been on many continents, including the continent of Belize.
0: Yes, uh, no. He clearly believes whatever content that's on, including Aruba, whatever content that's on. Don't embarrass me. I'm not a geography major like Michael Jordan.
4: I mean, how embarrassing. Uh, She got her law degree at Emory University. Uh,
0: John Floyd also uh, had um, some backstory on the cash thing because a lot of time was spent on the she keeps cash at home and she... Peels off a couple of Benjamins uh, for shift. this and for that and so on and so forth, and this is just the way that she was taught. So John Floyd corroborated that, and you know, when you listen to John Floyd' testimony, test, uh, testify his testimony, you uh, sort of get a sense of the garrulous nature of Fawnie Willis, where she gets it. Uh, keeping cash in the house, it's a black thing.
2: When your daughter moved or left the house that she owned. Did did she say anything to you about having a large uh, savings of cash? Oh no, she. Oh no.
5: See, maybe. Excuse me, and I, Your Honor, I'm not trying to be racist, okay? But it's a black <laughs> I thing, that thing okay? Kit. You know, mm. I was trained, and most black folks they hide cash or they keep cash, and uh, I was. No, I train. You always keep some cash because uh, I've been places and just because of the color of my skin, for example, I took a fellowship at Harvard when my daughter was just, if I might, your honor, when I was just, uh, she was just, you know, maybe three years old. And I remember going to a restaurant in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I had a, American Express credit card and maybe a visa or whatever. And uh, I had a lot of um, what they call traveler's checks. I don't even know if they still have traveler's checks, but traveler's checks. And there was a sign said, you know, with the credit card, for whatever reasons, the man would not take my American Express credit card. So I pulled out my visa card, and he wouldn't take my visa card. So then I pulled out my traveler's checks, he said, we don't take checks. Now this was, these were traveler's checks, this was money. I had a $10 bill, I'll never forget this, as long as I live. And uh, he said, uh, uh, the bill for my wife at the time, uh, Franny's mother, Franny and myself, was like $9.95, and I had a $10 bill. That was all that, and I always remember that. Um, but even before that, I've always kept cash. I, you know, And I've told my daughter, you keep six months' worth of cash always. For example, I had three safes in my house. Uh, I put some of my client's stuff there, too, uh, things I didn't want other lawyers to be. I mean, because you're always in a firm, and I knew that there were special conditions. So some of my client's things I would bring home. Put them in the safe, but I've always kept safes. And as a matter of fact, I gave my daughter uh, her first cash box and told her always keep some cash.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he brought me back to the time when I did use traveler's checks, right?
0: No, yeah, I, I yeah. understand. Yeah, and it's in the time when some uh, gas station attendant in Cambridge wouldn't take my American Express card. Sure.
4: Uh, well, a lot again, of gas stations don't take American Express. Yeah, victim of it's not a uh, black thing. It's victim just of
0: institutional racism uh-huh. in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Sure, and uh, whatever that, ha- whatever whatever century that happened. Um, yeah, so that's fast forward. That's why Fonnie Willis uh, pays cash for transactions with her. Uh, love interest and doesn't keep any record of it, even though she's the one signing off on six hundred fifty grand worth of payments to him as a subordinate or a mm. vendor or a contractual employee or whatever she wants to call him. In the, okay, all right. I mean, <laughs> wait, J- Judge, Judge at Fulton County, please keep Fawny Willis on the trial. Please yeah. don't bounce her. I
4: know.
0: And you know what? If you would, could you make a recommendation that dad, John Floyd, be co-counsel? <laughs> Sit second chair.
4: You're right. Now, I want to see more of her. I would, this is, it would be fascinating if they keep her on the case.
0: Oh, my God.
4: Oh, it'd be must-watch TV.
0: Between Fawnie and John, the trial is going to take about six months longer than it otherwise would, just because they can never shut up.
4: I know. Just answer the question. I mean, they're going around and around. and around, like, there's a straight line between point A and... In point B, get to it. Uh,
0: the the keeping cash thing is—it's a black thing. I, I know some white people who keep cash, but anyway, that's okay. Uh, The—it's a black thing to institutional racism, to um, to to safety to to to, to safes shirts. and cash boxes, and your—I mean, John, please. You know. Can, I mean, it's, I'm, I had to I'm, listening, I'm listening to him, and I'm thinking of Steve Martin and Plains, Trains, and Automobiles. Have a point. It makes it so much easier for the listener.
4: <laughs> 312-642-5600, turnkey, top row answer line. You can also text us at 64636, type in DA, and then a quick comment.
0: Mike in Yorkville.
10: Good morning, Dan and Amy. I first would want to say, after listening to that, testimony i think i found bob Menendez. Menendez's new
1: attorney that's the first one
0: there you go right i keep gold bars <laughs> keeping gold bars is a senator thing <laughs> yeah perfect
8: you know and just listen to these people you no know, i came from howard university i came from this you know i went to college graduated i just didn't realize
10: how much my college diploma is now worthless because I realize that they're just handing them out to people. Mm -hmm. And apparently those that are going to get a J.D. aren't as intellectual as we always keep on thinking. It seems like they're almost as worthless as anything else. they're, They're just the crooks in the suits that are inside the courthouses that are just making deals using Latin terms. That's about it.
11: <laughs> yes,
0: they know a couple Latin phrases to make them sound somewhat consequential, right? Thanks for the call, Mike.
4: I mean, her, how did she become the DA? I know I should already she ran know the answer. For office and one, I know, but I mean, how did she even get a how? law degree? It's, she went to Howard, then she went to Emory, and then I mean, her street talk—like like, I, I give one G to Robin—and I mean, it's it's embarrassing.
0: Well, I mean, to Mike and Yorkville's point, what you think you need to be a member of Mensa to get a law degree? Mm-hmm. Hardly. Mark, on the south side, have you taken a perusal of the Good lawyers morning. practicing out there yeah, in every I, discipline just about?
7: It just still shocks me. I Good morning, know. Dan and Amy.
0: Yeah, Mark. Go ahead, Mark.
7: We know, that they have, uh, yeah, we know that they have looked at every line of Trump's tax returns over the years. He's been audited. And after the decision on Friday
11: uh, for committing fraud, yet the IRS all these years never brought charges against trump for filing false um, income
7: tax returns it's very mm-hmm. counterdicting
0: uh, thanks for the call yeah. uh, it's uh, it's a fair point you raise because they have had no shortage of audits of trump we know that's true
4: that's true uh, we Would got you... the best text message ever because you know on the stand we learned that her boyfriend in 2019 even though you don't want to talk about it den he was a dj named deuce yeah deuce you know sure you know, we remember deuce I remember deuce is great he played at our prom I uh, got a text message. Too bad she had to drop a deuce.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's just not a visual I wanted to start the day with. Uh, Jay in New Lennox.
7: Hi, thanks for taking my call this morning. I just wanted to comment on the fact that most people, I don't know if you've known any, that will ramble and ramble and ramble are usually being dishonest about whatever they're talking about. it It seems like he was just constantly talking about
5: nonsense, because who pays a $9.95
11: bill with an American Express card? I, I don't understand
0: that. See, he's trying to, get the, he's yeah. trying to get the points. Oh. Uh, uh, thanks for the call, Jay. It's all about the miles. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's a, these are real people. I know. And, and in real positions of authority, that's the thing that should... No, it's not funny. You should find jarring. I mean, she's uh,
4: prosecuting a former president, and she's going on five trips in six months to Belize, to Wine Country, to Aruba on a cruise. I mean, you cannot; these are not serious people.
0: Mary Kay Western Springs.
6: Yeah, you can't live life without banking. I mean, who never goes to the bank, puts their money
0: away? That's a weird. The whole. Willis doesn't weird. have any checks. She doesn't have yeah, checks. She doesn't I know. use checks.
6: The- that's not. That's not.
0: Mary, have
4: you ever worn your dress backwards? No. You know what no, that means? It means easy access. That's why they wear it backwards. It means you it's were calling to the lover, to saying, "Take my dress off."
0: Oh, really? That was a come hither move to wear her dress backwards. Oh,
4: yeah.
6: That was take. Uh, yeah. Me in the back room. Trust, trust me. Oh, I got oh boy! This. Wow. Oh, I thought they were getting dressed, and she put it on backwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh, that's right. They could have been, you know, doing something.
0: These are and, like sands yeah. through the hourglass. These are the days oh. of Funny
6: Willis's life. Oh my uh, God, you guys! This world is unbelievable. Um, well, I want to talk about Donald Trump's business, his real estate business. So quickly. when you're lending, yeah, when you're lending against real estate, it's about loan to value. It's it's and right. what I'm talking about. Is yeah, so um, if you're, it uh, doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or a millionaire, it makes no difference. Um, it's, uh, it's what the holdings are worth, and um, that's what you can lend. Lots of business owners freak out, you know, and tell stories about their business when they, they're yelling. And my, my husband does this for a living. And they, they went to the, the people lending the money are all tense, the people who are borrowing the money are all tense, upset will say things that are less than true to get their way you know that's that's just how lending works and um you know as far as like real estate or building the skyline in new york i mean he built it he did it he he worked as a real estate mogul out there and um and did it whether it was all um on the up and up or above board it well, never thanks is for,
0: thanks for the call mary Kay. I mean right so so we know things are complicated it's like uh... I don't know rodney dangerfield and back to school when it's you know in the economics class you know you got to pay off the teamsters you got to do this you got to do that what do you think i'm dealing with the mormon tabernacle choir um no i i got it um it doesn't justify making material misrepresentations but whatever material misrepresentations were made doesn't justify the uh the, the penalty that was handed down this is the point it's unique to trump this
1: is Chicago's morning answer.
7: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys.
1: On AM 560, the answer.
8: Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank.
1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Four men who live at a migrant shelter in downtown Chicago have been charged with robbing and strangling a passenger on the pink line. The foursome attacked and robbed the 48-year-old man while riding a train near the Costner station around uh, 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. That's nice. Uh, Chicago cops swooped in, arrested uh, the suspects about 45 minutes later at the Pulaski station. Um, they are all list their home address as three at the three hundred block of South Plymouth, home to the Standard Club migrant shelter. Oh,
4: that place. Have you been out there? Oh well, you should treat anybody should treat themselves to stand outside the Standard Club, and you will soil your pants. It's that scary. Uh,
0: it sounds like you'll fit right in. Uh, the um, uh, four migrants yes. uh, represent, you know, the small price that we pay to be a cosmopolitan welcoming city a little robbing and a little strangling and all of a sudden you want to shut down the borders that's not christian 312-642-5600 turnkey.pro answer line 646 turnkey da turnkey.pro text line
4: this is right? a meet, meet your new neighbors segment these are your new neighbors let's say hello to your new neighbors
0: um also this in the suburbs uh, you just i just want you, you just want to take note again i mean um some people get um, uh victimized yeah you got to think of the bigger play you got to think of the larger effort afoot here you got to focus on your own sense of moral rectitude you can't focus on the consequences that's not going to get us anywhere um several robberies in which thieves targeted bank customers have recently reported across the chicagoland area that means the suburbs anyway. Uh, One incident took place around 2 p.m. on Wednesday in Wheeling. Yeah, I heard about that. Police were called to an apartment building, uh, 500 West Dundee Road. woman reported she was robbed inside the building's parking garage. Wheeling police are urging residents to be aware of their surroundings, especially when visiting and leaving banks or ATMs. If you believe you're being followed, stay in your vehicle and call 911.
4: And maybe they'll show up. Maybe they won't. Uh, uh, well, my neighbor! She got robbed. She took five hundred bucks out of the bank on a sunny Sunday afternoon, and two black kids kids followed her home and uh, held her at gunpoint in her garage.
0: Kids being silly, um, That's right. just like they are in Old Town. Three men robbed at gunpoint uh, North Sandburg Terrace uh, this weekend. Uh, while uh, robberies are down eight percent citywide. Uh, robberies in near north uh, which includes old town have risen 17 percent um, they must be going where the money is interesting uh but again look all, all of this small price to pay to end institutional racism which we did with eliminating cash bail small price to pay to be a welcoming cosmopolitan city you you, you don't want to be anti-christian do you
4: 312-642-5600, answer line. You can also text us at 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Somebody wrote, these are Biden buddies.
0: Biden buddies, that's right. Uh, prosecutors have charged a University Park man with shooting a woman in the suburbs last month while on felony pretrial release for an aggravated fleeing case. Again. But we've ended institutional racism in the criminal justice system in Illinois. Isn't that wonderful? Man who stabbed woman, threatened her boyfriend with a hammer, was supposed to be in court facing charges of attacking another victim with a knife and a hammer. He was supposed to be in court Wednesday morning. A grand jury had returned a true bill charging him with seven felonies, including attempted murder, for stabbing and hitting a stranger with a hammer on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. He didn't show up. Because he was on the street that morning stabbing a woman and threatening her boyfriend with a a hammer. He's busy.
4: Right. He couldn't judge. He can't. My client cannot be here because he's committing another crime.
0: He'll be here when he's done. All all we can do is tell you the stories and tell you the line of argumentation from the people that have been elevated to shot caller status. Pun intended.
4: Oh, by the way, in case you missed it, anybody... Shot spotter is going to stay until September 22nd.
0: Thank God, because all of these people on pretrial release and being welcomed into the country, we're going to need to perhaps hone in on them. I mean, to the extent there's real any real interest in, in bringing them in and disrupting their day. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, some people are making their presence felt. They're risking. <laughs> I mean, it's a big risk. They're risk- risking their welcoming city designation, like some of the residents of Harlem, uh, I'm talking about New York City, of course, who uh, were not so excited about the city's decision to use an abandoned luxury condo development that had been foreclosed on about a decade ago uh, as a migrant shelter. And so uh, the the, uh, residents of Harlem protested and Eric Adams had to swoop in and say, hey, what's going on here? Of oh, no, yeah, of course not. Of course not. CBS 2 or CBS Affiliate New York reporting.
6: Harlem residents went looking for answers Thursday night about a once luxury building on Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard. The development has sat empty for the past decade until this week when neighbors noticed boxes of bunk beds being loaded in. We were trying to find out what was going on and we weren't getting any answers to our question. They learned City Hall was planning to turn the building into temporary housing for asylum seekers. No, I don't agree with it. it turned into a sanctuary for asylum seekers. No, we have people right here that need the space. While neighbors were gathering to share their concerns, Mayor Eric Adams dropped in to answer questions.
11: You are the mayor. We do not want to hear excuses.
6: But the mayor announced a change of course. I told the team, find out what's going on here. We're not moving
11: folks into a brand new building when you have long-term needs into a
6: community, that's not going to happen. The luxury building will instead be a shelter for long-term New York City families.
5: You will not have migrants and asylum seekers in that property.
4: Eric Adams has your back. Don't you worry. Look look who's at the meeting,
0: Dan. <laughs> Hello. He walks in. Hi. Hey, what hey. the heck is going on? I heard some noise about this. No, not on my watch. No. Yeah, okay. All right. Hey, ShotSpotter, we extended that contract. Not on my watch. We're going to make sure that we have that technology, at least through the convention. And then we'll let all hell break a little bit looser.
4: Oh, my God. Did you hear what happened in Boston? This, we won't play the whole thing, but this little kid showed up for baseball practice at a field house in Roxbury, which is a predominantly black neighborhood.
7: It's
11: been two weeks since the Melnea Cash Recreational Community Center in Roxbury was converted into an emergency shelter for migrant families. Hundreds of beds now cover the indoor track and soccer fields where neighborhood children like 12-year-old Jeremiah Rodriguez thought he had baseball practice this
7: weekend.
9: We usually practice.
11: And what happened when you went here today? Uh, they were closed. Closed to the public as dozens of families are now living in the shelter who were at one point sleeping in Logan Airport as the state shelter system is stretched to the limit.
12: Overall, it has been uh, putting some pressure on the capacity of our system. It's okay to help, but uh, I don't think that's the play to do it because kids
4: and family... Yeah, I mean, it, it, and remember, I thought the Boston people, Bostonians, were taking migrants into their homes. But well, instead, surprise, they put them well, in the, this field house.
0: Um, imagine that. The supply of volunteers doesn't meet the demand for the uh, Biden buddies. Who wants some migrant munchies? <laughs> uh, good piece by uh, Peachy Keenan over at uh, American Mind uh-huh. on uh, these open borders Christians. I keep saying, you know, it's not a Christian thing to do. You hear that a lot, including from Eric Adams. You fellow Christians, this is not the Christian thing to do. The He Gets Us ad campaign that I've brought to your attention many times over the last year, since it st- year plus since it started. Oh, yeah. And what the left is doing, which and the, the right doesn't understand, as usual. Uh, the Super Bowl ads, did you see those? Yeah. Peachy Keenan asks, why is it the open borders Christians are so committed to allowing America to be raped and pillaged by millions of illiterate third worlders who care nothing for our laws, values, time, our traditions, and morals? Why is that, do you think? Or oh, you know who they are. You you get uh, the high hat from them if you raise a, a legitimate issue. If you say anything akin to what you heard from those residents of Harlem. Then you get scolded in Glen Ellen and River Forest and Wilmette, Naperville, Downers Grove, Hinsdale. I could go on. You get the point. So why is that? You ever think about it? 312-642-5600, turnkey.proanserline. Peachy Keenan goes on. Google crimes committed by aliens, quote unquote, and you'll see a long list of recent shootings, lootings, rapes, and more. Stranglings, pink line. The um, And um, those wonderful God-fearing Catholic charities are doing the Lord's work by providing free getaway cars to violent thugs. The entire illegal immigrant pipeline from the airports in Turkey and Dubai that are sending them to South America and Central America to the Darien Gap across the border and into our cities is being funded by Christian and Catholic NGOs. When you learn about the betrayal Catholic and Christian NGOs have been committing for decades to the rights and privileges granted by America, you'll go mad. The recent failed federal border control bill included $2 billion to religious organizations to help migrants, meaning paying them to break the law. We've documented this over the last many months, the flights from San Antonio to Chicago and stuff sponsored by paid for by Catholic Charities. James O'Keefe, undercover reporter, as you know, you remember him from Project Veritas. Now he's on his own. Exposed the Catholic Community Services of Tucson, facilitating the illegal entry of gang members into this country. Casa Elitis offers shelter necessities and travel assistance to asylum seeking families. We help guests find safe harbor, reunite with loved ones across the U.S. Sounds great, except then you look at what they're actually doing and they make no more distinction uh, about who's coming into this country than the Biden administration does. As P.G. Keenan says, there are many organizations like this taking money from their parishioners, the federal government and funneling funneling it directly to illegal aliens. And Catholic Charities is the worst offender. So why? And you, you, you question this. You, you heard this in Naperville when uh, uh, McBroom, uh, you know, floated the idea of a sign up list and you get people up there. Oh, you know, this isn't the, we're not welcoming. This isn't the way to do it. And what about just like Eric Adams citing scripture to defend his def- to, to, to defend his uh, support of sanctuary city policies? And by extension, open borders uh, at the southern border. And by the way, the northern border, too, which the uh, illegal entrances in their northern border is up exponentially over the last year. But he does that at the same time as, you know, beating the drum. You got to do something about the border. But you support the underlying policies, all of them. This two step that they all do. Petrie Keenan goes on, we either have a country or we don't. If we open our doors, every human being from every country will soon become the biggest asshole country in the world with seven billion new arrivals. Don't like it. Go to these other places and make them better. Not everyone alive can live here. Once the new arrivals outnumber us, it's over for good and there will be no more places to emulate. I'm done having my devout religious belief used as a skin suit by Soros-funded globalists who want to use it as a disguise while they overthrow our sacred democracy from within. I'm not in favor of having my Catholicism used as a club to beat me to death. And they won't have to. I fully expect to get beaten to death one day by one of the sacred illegal immigrants they sent to my neighborhood. Believing in the he-gets-us version of Christianity is going to get us all killed. Um, strong words, I wouldn't say they're inaccurate. Oh, by the way, did you catch this? Just in terms of the ongoing uh, dilution of your standing and rights and responsibilities as an American citizen? San Francisco just admitted its first non citizen to their local elections board.
4: Ugh, yes, it's some Asian woman, right?
0: I wonder what uh, her posture will be. Kelly Wong, an immigrant rights advocate, is believed to be the first non-citizen appointed to the commission. Uh, Wong's appointment is the result of a 2020 voter-approved measure that removed the citizenship requirement to serve on San Francisco boards, commissions, and advisory boards. Of course. Now let's move it to vote.
4: So it begins.
0: Joe in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
11: Yeah, you know, if these these people that want to use the Catholic religion as a, as a cloak of uh, doing devious things. Remember, Jesus said, render on to Caesar, Caesar with Caesar's and render on to God's what's God's. If these Catholic charities are doing stuff that's fostering illegal behavior, they need to get Fannie Willis They have a RICO case against them.
0: Thanks for the call, Joe. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing... This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, A lot of uh, discussion about uh, Tucker Carlson's interview. No, not of Putin, a more important one in my view. And that was uh, the cybersecurity uh, former State Department cybersecurity uh, staffer Mike Benz, who uh, we've had on the show, who I interviewed in my kind uh, pod, of culture podcast uh, for American Greatness back in, uh, at the end of the year, and who we've talked about quite a bit. Not uh, not him specifically, but what he's describing in terms of the censorship industrial complex. And what Benz has been describing over the last, say, year has been very important to the reporting that uh, Mike Schellenberger, Matt Taibbi, and others have done from the Twitter files to even the reporting last week about the false flag operation that was allegedly initiated by CIA, the John Brennans, and Jim Clappers of the world, back at the outset of the 2016 campaign cycle. Has it ever stopped? And, of course, part of that censorship industrial complex necessarily is folding in the legacy media, the D.C. press corps. We'll get to Ben's. But let me. Well, and not just the D.C. press corps, but also, of course, all the social media platforms. So we'll get to Ben's. But uh, this hot mic moment was sort of interesting on CNBC. CNBC's Sarah Eisen was interviewing the uh, president of global affairs for Meta, a.k.a. Facebook. His name is Nick Clegg. And she asked about the upcoming election. Here we go. What is Facebook going to do to censor, suppress, they would say combat, misinformation and disinformation? The uh, hot mic moment is difficult to hear, but I'll uh, tell you what Sarah Eisen said while Nick Clegg was talking. Take a listen.
6: It does strike me that this is an issue, disinformation, misinformation, interference with the election that the government should be taking on. How many people do you have working on this issue? And how do you know what's enough?
12: So we have around 40,000 people working on kind of safety and integrity on our platforms. Generally, we spend a lot of money on it. We've spent, oh, about 20 billion US dollars in recent years on, on things li- like election <laughs> integrity, about 5 billion in the last year alone. But here's the interesting point. You know, even if we imply, imp- employ doubles the number of content moderators that we have, Actually, here's the irony. We're talking here about the risks of AI-generated content, but AI is also actually our most powerful tool to identify and deal with the kind of content we don't want to see on our platforms. So take hate speech, for instance. The prevalence of hate speech, in other words, the percentage of hate speech as a percentage of the total of content on Facebook is now down to about 0.01%, and that's been reduced by over 50%, just in the last couple of years alone, for one reason only, improvements in AI technology. So I, I, you know, I think it's important for your viewers to know that, yes, of course, there are issues and concerns about how this technology is going to be used for bad purposes. It's ironically also the same technology that helps um, you know, established uh, players from making sure that their, their policies are being properly respected and enforced.
0: So a couple of things. One, when you heard her whispering while yeah, Clegg was talking, saying. she said... Uh, 40,000 employees, because that's what he said, devoted to safety and integrity, to combating misinformation, disinformation, hate speech. Uh, the importance uh, is the definition, what falls under those headings, by the way, which Nick Clegg glosses over. And, of course, Sarah Eisen is a leftist. Invest She doesn't uh, bother to press him on that either. She said uh, 40,000, they only have 67,000 employees. So more oh. than two-thirds of your employees – are writing point on combating misinformation and disinformation and hate speech in advance of November's election? What does that tell you? Oh, it tells me that they're being um, proper stewards of their platform and monitoring so people get the straight dope. Oh, really? No, it tells Uh, me they're pushing their agenda. From the same uh, uh, platforms like Meta that suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story in advance of the 2020 election? Here is Mike Benz on, uh, on with Tucker about the 2020 election and the social media platform's role, uh, as has been detailed in the Twitter files reporting, as was previewed by uh, psychologists like uh, Robert Epstein years before, uh, after you know who studied, focused on Google. Harvard-trained uh, psychiatrist uh, Robert Epstein, looked at uh, how Google manipulates search results. And he uh, did it post-mortem in 2016, and he did it prospectively for 2020. And and still, we can't seem to get attention beyond, and ironically, the social media platforms to this issue. Mike Benz.
13: Any tweet, any YouTube video, any Facebook post, any TikTok video— any Discord posts, any Twitch video, anything on the Internet that that uh, undermined public faith and confidence in the use of mail-in ballots or early voting drop boxes or or, or ballot tabulation issues on Election Day was a prima facie uh, terms of service violation policy under this new delegitimization policy that they only adopted because of pass-through government pressure from the Election Integrity Partnership, which they bragged about on tape, including the grid that they used to do this, and, and simultaneously invoking threats of government breaking them up, or, or government stopping doing favors for the tech companies unless they did this, as well as inducing crisis PR by working with their media allies. So, and they said the government, DHS, could not do that themselves, and so they set up this this basically constellation of State Department, Pentagon, uh, and and IC networks to run this pre-censorship campaign, which, by their own math, had 22 million tweets on Twitter alone. And mind you, they did this on 15 platforms. This is hundreds of millions of posts, which were all scanned and banned or throttled so that they could not be amplified or they exist in a sort of limited state purgatory or had these frictions affixed to them in the form of fact-checking labels where you couldn't actually click through the thing or you had to, it it was an inconvenience to be able to share it. Now, they did this seven months before the election. Because at the time, they they were worried about the perceived legitimacy of a Biden victory in the case of a so-called red mirage, blue shift event.
0: Red mirage, blue shift. We talked about in advance of 2020 that it looked like Trump is winning. He's winning in all these states. He's winning going into the election. He's winning for most of Election Day. And then all of a sudden, all of the mail-in votes, which was almost two-thirds of total ballots cast in 2020, come in, and he loses. Sort of what happened, right? But the the um, hundreds of millions—well, you know, just on Twitter alone, in the tens of millions, hundreds of middle uh, millions—what uh, Ben's calls "weapons of mass deletion," deployed by these social media companies. The electric, uh, excuse me, the Election Integrity Partnership, which we've detailed before on this show multiple times. Stanford University, Washington University, the Atlanta Council, and an outfit called Graphica uh, which was manned by a bunch of D.C. insider, some former I.C. Um, uh, minders. And and now we have two point oh, because of the Missouri v. Biden case. I mean, this is the thumbnail sketch. We again gone into detail on this and we will again because it doesn't seem like it's penetrating. Unfortunately, now the two point oh is stand up essentially a state cutouts like NewsGuard. Where you've got. Uh, former CIA Director General Michael Hayden and former DHS Secretary Tom Ridge and others of that IC pedigree working to uh, run interference without state direction because they got caught with Twitter and other uh, platforms um, in the same way that they did in 2020. I mean, I I can't think of a, a bigger issue and, of course, because the D.C. press corps and the social media platforms are essentially aligned, it's hard to get the word out. And because I don't, Republicans are feckless on the Hill, and it's hard to go to anybody into action. For more on all of this, we're pleased to be joined by Peter Berkowitz, who is senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, former director of policy planning at the State Department. His writings are posted at peterberkowitz.com. Peter, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
14: Pleasure to be with you. Thank you.
0: So what is your view of the censorship industrial complex and, for example, what you've heard uh, in the last couple of days from Mike Benz or previously, and as well as what you heard from Facebook's guy, Nick Clegg?
14: Well, um, my my view is that uh, it's terrible and in a way it's nothing new. We ran a, an amazing experiment in this country, lifetime, uh, during the Trump pre- campaign and presidency, 2016, and then his presidency, and then with the controversy over uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. The press did everything in its power to convict Donald Trump in the court of public opinion, including suppressing information telling tales that were not true, and the press did everything in its power, in collaboration, of course, with social media, Twitter and Facebook, to suppress the truth about Hunter's uh, laptop, um, the incriminating information on it. It came to light thanks to the New York Post in the in October 2020. We ran that experiment, and what did we discover? We saw that, uh, th- that the press is serving the interests of one party, and uh, the press and social media, and doing everything it can to destroy another party. So um, I'm deeply concerned with the new revelations, but the sad truth is they don't represent something fundamentally new. We've known this for a long time.
0: Well, sure, but the uh, sophistication, the scope, the um, the the hubris um, is growing ever, uh, ever yes. bigger— and 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 so I mean, you know, is there is there an antidote to this, or we just um, sit back and enjoy the descent into the abyss? Uh,
14: well, there certainly is an antidote. One of the antidotes, uh, for example, is our uh, shows like yours, which brings the truth to the public. A second antidote is to uh, is for people to uh, try to recover the use of the English language. We should we should reject such. Um, such aberrational language as such euphemisms, gross euphemisms as misinformation and disinformation. We have true statements. We have false statements. We we have opinions. Misinformation and disinformation mean, in practice, opinions with which you disagree. Uh, They should not be policed by, um, uh, by Facebook. Twitter they should certainly not be policed by the government they should not be certainly not be suppl- policed uh underhandedly by the intelligence communing elsewhere. third, we need to recover the institutions of education not just higher education but k through twelve education um, and uh and the media which are creating uh, okay. generation after generation uh believe that somehow in a free society government's role is to cooperate with social media to censor speech uh
0: how important then will the missouri v biden decision be and and assuming that um it repudiates what the government did um, uh, you know b- b- using cutouts to do illegally what it couldn't do legally uh I mean, is, did, would that represent a sea change, or would it just represent? Well, okay, uh, it's nice that the the Supreme Court confirmed what we understand to be true based on the evidence, but now comes the implementation, and that's where things get complicated.
14: Yeah, well, it's 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 closer to the latter. It won't it won't represent a sea change because uh, because the censorship sensibility is so deeply entrenched in the United States within the federal bureaucracy. Within the giants of social media, and within our mainstream educational system, so it won't be a sea change in that sense. Suddenly, uh, suddenly things won't um, uh, won't be restored to where they should be. On the other hand, it is hugely important. Why? Because it gives legal backing to the principle that um, the the government cannot uh, d- uh, delegate to. To the private sector authorities; it does not have. It does not have authority to censor speech. It does not have authority to restrict so-called hate speech or misinformation or disinformation, and therefore it can't ask uh, private private sector to do what it's not allowed to do. So it'd be hugely important. We'll give uh, reformers like such as an organization that I'm affiliated with, the New Civil Liberties Alliance, which has brought the case um, uh, m- more backing to fight the censorship industrial complex.
0: Do you think there's a, a good enough appreciation uh, among the American public that there are the forces that we're talking about here, uh, Did these organizations that have been stood up and people of a certain disposition at these social media platforms, in legacy media, in the government's alphabet soup of IC agencies? Um, do you think there's an appreciation that uh, very much like the Second Amendment – Um, There is a group of people with significant sway that doesn't really believe that in the First Amendment, that believes the First Amendment should be significantly curtailed, if not um, portions of it repealed. Uh, I'm thinking about, for example, Rick Stangle, who wrote a book about it, who headed up the Global Engagement Center, which was sort of the incubator for what came next, the Election Integrity Partnership and, and now outfits like NewsGuard.
14: Yes, look, uh, in, the, in our educational system, more than 10 years ago, the slogan became popular, um, speech is violence. A generation was educated on this. After the George Floyd killing, the riots of uh, the summer of 2020, we introduced a new expression, speech is, not speech is violence, but silence is violence. Mm-hmm. That means not only you can not, may you not express your own opinion, but you must express The government uh, or educationally authorized uh, opinion. So yes, I believe we are not. The public has not been made sufficiently aware of the acute threat to freedom of speech. In part because we're educated contrary to the principles of uh, the First Amendment, contrary to the principles of a free society in which we need the clash of opinion in order to, you know, approximate an approach to the truth. So yes, we have even with. Um, uh, let us hope a big legal victory. We have a huge amount of work to do in educating the public about the importance of and the threats to free speech.
4: But have you ever lived in a time where, if you, I know we have a right to free speech, and people say with free speech comes a great deal of responsibility. But if you say something that the left doesn't like, they will ridicule you and they will try to destroy you.
14: Uh, that, that, that's true. That's what, uh, we have a name for that. It's called cancel culture. This is a terrible development. Um, on the other hand, um, so long as they don't use the instrumentalities of, of government, um, there are no laws that we can act to, uh, to, to prohibit, to bar, to bar ridicule. We have to meet their speech with, with more effective speech. Uh, but, but we can go back and ask ourselves, where does this sensibility arise? Where do people get the idea that it's right to, uh, to ridicule and attempt to destroy people with whose opinions they disagree? I go back to this language we use, misinformation, disinformation, I go back to this invented notion which has no constitutional foundation, hate speech. Of course, people can say hateful things, but there's no legal, uh, in a free society, is not a legal mechanism for, for, for preventing hate speech. You meet hate speech with uh, better and true speech that brings out its hatefulness.
0: Yeah, the greatest act of disinformation is the silencing of dissent. I,
14: I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and and by the way, it really does it really does great harm to those who are to to, to those who are silenced. Yes, but to the silencers. I mean, you can summarize uh, John Stuart Mill's great defense of freedom of speech with a single sentence. He who knows only his own side of the argument knows little of that. You condemn yourself to ignorance if you don't make yourself familiar with, uh, with views with which you don't agree. The silencers really suffer, um, and all of us suffer through that, uh, uh, that that enmity toward dissent.
0: Peter Berkowitz, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, former director of policy planning at the State Department, you can find his writings at peterberkowitz.com. Peter, thank you as always. Appreciate
1: it.
4: Thank you. Thank you. And he joined us on our Pro answer line.
1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer.
7: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys.
1: On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, More uh, from Mike Benz. Uh, We were talking about uh, last hour with Peter Berkowitz, uh, the uh, former State Department cybersecurity official. So this is what he said a few months ago in terms of what the Twitter files 2.0 was going to look like, if you will. We've gone from the Election Integrity Partnership in advance of 2020 to now the Cyber Threat uh, Justice League, which sounds like something out of a Marvel comic book. But there are no heroes here. And it uh, involves foreign government too the Brits point here is they're attempting to stay ahead of what the Supreme Court may decide in the Missouri v. Biden case we were just discussing to continue to do what they did in twenty twenty. In terms of suppressing content on social media platforms, but this time without their fingerprints on it. We don't need the direct interaction between government agencies and social media platforms because we have these cutouts like NewsGuard that are that are led by former intelligence community officials like Hayden from CIA, like Ridge from Homeland Security. They know what to do. They don't need to be instructed so we can have plausible deniability about running the same program. Tucker didn't get into it with Benz as much as I did when I interviewed Benz for my counterculture podcast at American Greatness. So if you want to get into this 2.0, I'm not going to go into the weeds here, but you, you, you've got to get this out into digestible bites so people start to understand what exactly is going on, at whose hands it's going on, and what the impact is. And uh, Benz does a pretty good job of breaking it down, and you certainly take away the top lines. And again, this is not conspiracy theory. They're doing this. Who's the they? What are they doing? No, this is, here's the group. Here are the participants. Here's their backgrounds. Here's specifically what they're doing. Here's the documentation. Here's the things these individual participants have said on the record. So Ben's, um, after going through a uh Cliff Notes version of 1.0 and 2.0 with Tucker. If you want more detail, again, check out my counterculture podcast. Not saying it's better than Tucker's, but it is. No, I'm kidding. But it's just we just get into more details and different things than Tucker did in his hour with Ben's. What the 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 summary? What Mike Benz says he is describing, laying out everything that's transpired over the last eight years. Take a listen.
13: I mean, this is I mean, what's happened with the rise of the censorship industry is a total inversion of the idea of democracy itself. You know, democracy sort of draws its legitimacy from the idea that it is uh, ruled by consent of the people of the people being ruled. That is, it's not really being ruled by an overlord because the government is actually just our will expressed by our consent with who we vote for. the whole push after the 2016 election and after brexit and after a couple of other you know social media run elections that went the wrong way from what the state department wanted like the 2016 philippines election uh, was to completely invert everything that we described as being the underpinnings of a democratic society in order to deal with the threat of free speech on the internet and what they essentially said is we need to redefine democracy from being about the will of the voters to being about the sanctity of democratic institutions. And who are the, instit- the democratic institutions? Oh, it, it's us. You know, it's the military, it's NATO, it's the IMF and the World Bank. It's, 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 uh, it's the mainstream media, uh, Who uh, it is the NGOs. And oh, the, of course, these NGOs are largely State Department funded or IC funded. It's essentially all of the elite establishments uh, that were under threat from domestic, the rise of domestic populism that declared their own consensus to be the new definition of democracy. Because if you define democracy as being the strength of democratic institutions rather than a focus on the will of the voters, then what you're left with is essentially democracy is just the consensus-building architecture within the, con- within the democratic institutions themselves. And from their perspective, that takes a lot of work.
0: That's such a key point. I mean, it's basically, if I could summarize it in one sentence, is what our friend uh, Nicholas Cass, John Cass's brother, who was a lifer at State Department and intelligence community agencies, said about uh, autocratic regimes in places like Turkey. The attitude is for the people in spite of the people. The institutions, not the people. Protect the institutions, not be responsive to the will of the voter. It's military rule. That's what Ben said. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Stephen Bucci, served America for three decades as an Army Special Forces officer and top Pentagon official, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies as well. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
7: It's always my pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for having me.
0: So what about... um, what about Ben's and what he's had to say? And there's a lot of corroboration and additional reporting from Schellenberger and Taibbi that um, advance the veracity of what he has to say about uh, the intelligence community and and um, and social media platforms and what afoot what is afoot here with the censorship industrial complex.
7: Well, I mean, if you look at uh, what has already been revealed in the past, that you know the other side has stopped arguing is incorrect because it's all right there in front of them. Uh, This is the next logical step. You know, they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar with the first, uh, uh, you know, uh, Twitter files release. And they couldn't say, Oh no, no, we're not, you know, we're not telling these social media people what to do. Uh, It was clear they were uh, over the top. So, uh, and And now they've got to find a way to accomplish the same thing without looking bad and getting caught. so they've they've come up with these additional means to as you you know accurately put it, there's there' are cutouts now that uh, allow them to have the same degree of influence over social media, the same degree of control over the info that gets passed around uh, on social media. But without their fingerprints directly on the, the levers of, of uh, action, uh, that's distressing because instead of learning their lesson that the American people didn't want this and other peoples also around the world, by the way, uh, they, they said, oh, well, we understand they don't like it. So we'll just cover it up better and, uh, and be more skillful with our deception. That's, that's scarier than the first Situation, because so, now so, you know it'll be that much harder to reveal what's going on. That much harder for us as voters and citizens to uh, to step in and try and take action, or at least voice our disapproval.
0: Well, it's more than that. I mean, it's a fifth column action. It's a coup. I mean, these are the, the if if what uh, you are saying and what Mike Benz is saying. Uh, And what Taibbi and Schellenberg are reporting, it's true. Then former CIA directors like Hayden and former Homeland Security secretaries like Ridge and Clapper and Brennan. These are bad people. These are enemies of a free America. And I I don't understand why no one uh, from military brass who served our country honorably and, and loves our country and people who are veterans of these agencies aren't. Uh, throwing a public fit about what we have good reason to believe is true? Is the case with these people? NewsGuard, why Why are, is, is Mike Benz talking about it and a few others and no one else, for example?
7: Well, quite likely and, and seemingly obviously is because they're the bosses of other people who normally would be screaming bloody murder about this sort of thing. Uh, are are in cahoots they're they're the ones trying to help pull us off because they agree with that group of people uh in some in government some no longer in government but still in power obviously uh that feel this is the right thing to do this is what they need to do to protect all of us from our silly you know populist views yeah. and our you know, or, or, uh...
0: Yeah, I, I I get their their cover story for their autocracy, their autocratic impulses. I get their cover story. What I don't get is um, where's the sort of Great Barrington Declaration style uh, effort afoot among military and federal law enforcement to call this out and to say no. We're, we're not going to do this. Let us, let you know, raise the profile on this so that people start to tune into it and appreciate just exactly what's happening.
7: Yeah, I can't tell you where it is or, uh, you know, why they're not stepping forward. Uh, in some cases, it could be because they're still just totally baffled that this is really going on. And I have to tell you, I, I knew very well some of those people on that list. Uh, some of them are former military people who then went into yeah. the IC. Uh, nice.
14: And
7: and I thought very well of a lot of them, not everybody on that list. Mr. Brennan, that I think, has been a crook from get-go. But the others I had great respect for. And to see them now embroiled to this degree in in an effort to circumvent our entire system uh, is is almost hard for us to believe because these are people we trusted. So I think it may be delayed, but it's it's not going to go away. I think as people understand, oh, my God, this is real, you're going to see people start stepping up to to point it out.
4: Well, if you know them, do you feel comfortable calling them up and saying what the heck did you just do or have you been doing?
7: Uh, Well, I mean, a lot of these people are not, you know, General Hayden – General Clapper, they're people I knew I I'd worked under, not directly, but, you know, like within their organizations. I, I don't have their their phone on a speed dial. It doesn't really work that way in, a, in the government system. Uh, and, you know, to, to see them, my wife and I, you know, we both knew General Clapper very well, thought the world of them. And as more and more of this goat comes out, you go, holy smoke, I can't believe General Clapper did this and is saying this. Uh, it's really hard to to get your head around that. And, you know, and I'm one of the people who, you know, I talk on the radio and on TV for a living now that I don't get paid for it. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's what I do. Most of my colleagues in the military, in the IC, that's not their gig. They are used to being quiet, doing their job, doing it well. And and for them, it's even more difficult to get out there and, and suddenly say, Whoa, time out, this is wrong. This is not supposed to happen because you're you're asking them I'm not excusing the silence, don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to explain to you why there might be that silence, at least right now.
0: Well, I understand, but there's also a lot of guys, uh, you know, it's like the, like Kevin Brock, who's out of the FBI, and he's happy to comment on the FBI because he actually cares about the agency and law enforcement, and he's disgusted to see what has happened to it under Comey and now Ray. So I would say the same thing about uh, veterans of our armed services or these intel agencies who have the same disposition towards their former employers and to their country. And uh, don't have to, you know, worry about the professional repercussions because they're out of that business. I mean, that that's you know that's part of maybe that's where you start this this nucleus. And I'm not giving you a homework assignment. I'm just like, you know, th- th- this is um, such a pressing matter. And we've gone through two elections now where what Benz is describing has been afoot, and the response by uh, those. Um, you know, election interferers, if I may, is only is, is to scale it, is to make it bigger and and uh, more difficult to interdict, not uh, to, uh, you know, uh, reduce their entanglement in elections and efforts to suppress dissent and so forth. I mean, uh, it, it, there's like some some people that have a lot bigger voices than me. Uh, and a few others uh, seem to be uh, this is like the time to take out a bullhorn and issue the clarion call
7: yeah but remember it's kind of tough to get that clarion call out there when all of the normal outlets that that would go over are you know part of the cooked books uh and that that's again not making excuses i'm just trying to get my yeah. head around. No, I mean, it's just it's, uh, yeah. going on and it's should... just
0: challenges. I mean, there's, of course there's challenges, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like this is something, it's, this, this stuff just goes, uh, you know, they, they are just relentless on the other side and we're sort of like a shoulder shrug. That's bad. This shouldn't happen, but it is happening. And then there's people that have, you know, angles of access that don't want to use. Them. I mean, this, this seems to be like the recurring problem uh, on the freedom side, if you will, which is um, we, you know, the other side is happy to exercise power they don't have, and we are unwilling to exercise power we do. It's such a bad matchup. I mean, let me give you just another example, because I want to get your reaction to this too. It's not national security directly, but it kind of, sort of is tangentially. This is a former uh, FBI agent, speaking of somebody who's a former, is willing to talk openly about this. Stuart Kaplan, talking about... Uh, last, the underreported arrest of the FBI informant uh, who accused uh, the Bidens of being bribed by Burisma. The FBI has arrested him now for uh, perjuring himself, even though this allegation is years old and was checked out. And this is the point that Stuart Kaplan makes.
3: When that 1023 form was released last year, my colleagues and I knew at that point that informant was going to be sacrificed it was just a matter of time that informant has been on the books since 2010 11 12 up until more recently you do not stay on the books with the fbi unless you have been vetted and you are credible and the fact that he had received so much money from the fbi and so many people have to sign off on that payment or those payments It has to be verified that he is a very productive informant. So what the FBI and our government wants to have us believe now is we've now taken out the predicate, the predicator, the person who started the ball rolling, you know, tattling or telling on the Bidens. And now we gathered all of this other information, all of the money trail, all of the checks, all of the payments. But yet, because we're going to discredit the guy who unleashed on him. Let's throw it all in the garbage like it never even happened. So let's assume we we eliminate this guy. We still have a treasure trove of evidence that leads directly from Hunter Biden to his father. It's it's just insane. It's illogical. It really is embarrassing. I can't believe that the FBI has gone down this road again to unleash on this informant that they're alleging that he lied in September of 2023 about things he said in 2016. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous because you have to understand the way things work. In 2016, 17, 18, he was vetted. The information that he provided was corroborated. That's what got the ball rolling with respect to the FBI and the IRS. It's not like his information is the only thing that's out there against the Bidens. There's a treasure trove of information.
0: Yeah, you cross the Bidens, and uh, the the justice system is out to get you.
7: For yeah, example, it sure seems that way for sure. And just, uh, just ask Trump. Well, yeah, and and you know, with President Trump, they have dressed it up so much, and so it's the the stories are so pervasive. You know, the judgments by sitting uh, judges against him. You sit there and go, wait a minute. I'm not a lawyer, but this makes absolutely no sense as to why they're doing this. And uh, you know, we'll hope hopefully that'll get sorted out as it continues up the, the chain of in our legal system. But something like this guy, who's who's going to go there to, to defend this guy? Who's going to help him? We don't even know who he is. And uh, I, I'm I'm with the the last speaker you had there. Just like wow okay, so th- this guy's been in this system all this time, and now suddenly, because the, the charges are getting traction, we're going to go after him and say he perjured himself. That, that is the system directly and openly sure. shutting down justice.
0: Well, and- we do know who he is. We do know who he is. His name is Alexander Smirnoff. We do know who he is. And so, right, so where is where are people rallying to Alexander Smirnoff? Not just uh, what happens to him. Um, but what it means for other whistleblowers i mean are are the two irs whistleblowers uh, ziegler and chapley are they going to be arrested next because um yeah, i mean well, the, 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 like like yeah, this this right. stuff this stuff is getting um so far beyond the pale that i you know people inside dc who know better need to start uh, demanding better and doing better in terms of Uh, In terms of representing people who do exhibit some political courage in terms of raising profile and all this stuff, in terms of, frankly, stoking a revolt over this stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, I I try to be pretty even keel about things, but the confluence of everything that is being substantiated and what we're seeing from uh, the organs of the apparatus that has a monopoly of force in the society I mean, they are chilling if you believe in a free, pluralistic society. And I, I just don't like get the sense of urgency. I, Trump is not the greatest communicator on this. And um, nobody else on the center right seems to be particularly compelling either or focused. No, I, I don't know, man.
7: You're absolutely right. I would agree with that completely. We are losing this the communications war part of this. Uh, we just can't seem to get any traction with our side of the story. Uh, and the, but in some measure, it's because the other side owns the majority of the outlets over which this goes.
0: Well, we better use what we have and build more. So, uh, Stephen Bucci uh, served America for three decades, Army Special Forces officer and top Pentagon official visiting fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies as well. Stephen Bucci, thank you as always. Appreciate it.
4: And he joined us on our turnkey dot pro answer line
1: before you see it on TV. Share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM 560. The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So at least uh, two of those uh, migrants charged with assaulting those New York City police officers the other week.
4: Yeah, I saw them. They were in court on Friday.
0: At least two of them have been identified as members of Tren de Aragua, the train, which is a Venezuelan street gang. A Venezuelan street gang that, as I understand it, is sort of on the order of MS-13, the Salvadorian street gang. Now, um, uh, unlike what uh, Bukele did in uh, El Salvador to crack down on MS-13, we here in America are inviting them in and uh de Aragua members as well and now there's been some reporting that uh, there may be a combination of forces or some sort of strategic alliance between these uh South American Central That's American gangs
4: great uh-huh.
0: uh what well, but but again it's a small price to pay to call yourself a member of a welcoming community okay for more on this, please be joined by Michael Brown, Global Director of Counter-Narcotics Technology at Riga Koo, uh Analytical Devices. He's a former senior DEA special agent. Michael Brown, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good
10: morning. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So um, what about uh, these uh, uh, foreign street gangs uh, uh, sort of individually as well as the reporting on them collaborating?
10: You know, what we're seeing occurring now are individuals coming into the United States under the title of migrants seeking asylum, when many of these individuals are actually associated with with other gangs associated in the United States. Now, reference to Trinidad Agua, right, they have an association with MS-13, and here's, the, here's what I'm concerned about. MS-13 has an association with the Jalisco uh, Organization in Mexico – the Mexican Mafia Sinaloa Group and also the Zetas. MS-13, they function as the, the action arm, the Sicarios for these organizations. They commit contract murders, kidnappings, extortions. They're not what I would call traditional drug trafficking organizations, but MS-13 is the execution arm for very dangerous cartels. So what happens when we have thousands of Trendel Agua members now joining forces with MS-13? That creates a major security threat for the United
4: States. Well, what are they doing? I mean, like the two people that beat up the police officers that are part of this gang, before they did that to the officers, they had a long list of arrests for grabbing people's cell phones and their purses, um, retail theft as well. Are they taking the money and the proceeds for that and giving it to their gang leader?
10: Well, two issues here. Number one, there are probably 24 to 25 active gangs in New York. So there's a very small area where, where Trinidad can operate. So now they're targeting the public, right? They're stealing cell phones. They're committing robberies. Those cell phones are then hacked. People's bank accounts and, and other financial institutions are, are, are attacked. The cell phones are sent to Mexico where they're reprocessed and sold. So this creates, you know, new, I think a new high level of street gang activity. And additionally, these gangs bring a very anti-police mentality to the United States. You know, In Venezuela, these gangs, they assault police, they kill police. So there's no hesitation when they come to the United States in attacking the police. But when they're released without cash bail within hours, that sends a very dangerous message to these gang members that they can attack the police in this country and there's no retaliation
0: yeah uh, they gave us the year number one uh, signal to uh, communicate uh, their attitude toward uh, law enforcement in this country and the enforcement of laws both directions and and so yeah it's it's all fun and games when you watch a uh, you know, when you watch narcos on netflix um to have it on the, your streets may be a little less enjoyable i wonder if that's starting to resonate in places like chicago new york not really it seems some of these organized um uh, robbery crews, burglary crews. We had uh, one that was busted up in in suburban Lake County, north of Chicago. Um, what? So, how do how do those pieces fit together? Is this just sort of freelancers, or do they have crews that are focused on burglary rings, high end burglary rings, and then crews that are the sicarios, as you say, and then crews that are doing human trafficking? Is this you know, I mean, we've seen from some of the documentaries on these cartels, they're run like multinational corporations. They have division of labor. They are—they have some level of sophistication. And I wonder how sophisticated are these um, uh, new gangs that are establishing bigger footprints in the, the United States?
10: Well, if you look at the individuals who were arrested in New York, these were 15, 16-year-olds. These were like teenagers, right? Right. So there's not a lot of organization they're bringing with them. The danger is, again... Their association with MS-13 and MS-13's association with established Mexican drug cartels in Mexico. Now those cartels, in my opinion, conceive thousands of these new Trendila Agua members as an expansion of their already expansive criminal organizations in the United States. And again, we're talking about, you know, uh, contract murders, drug trafficking, robberies, and these groups now establishing new territory by challenging existing gangs in New York which we could see an increase in what we call gang war retaliation, which we're seeing in Chicago, where individuals will have 30 to 40 shootings a week, a weekend.
0: Right. So, yeah, give us give us a picture of what that looks like in, in a place like Chicago that is already, you know, the the most violent big city in America on a per capita basis. You know, what, what does that look like if you add uh, day Aragua, or uh, MS-13 or some combination of the two? With uh, that are, are are purposed to expand their uh, territorial control.
10: Well, Chicago, one of the largest gangs in Chicago is, is the Latin Kings. Mm-hmm. You also have MS13 in Chicago. So, in MS13 and, and um, the Latin Kings are more or so rivals than than working together. So, what you could—I mean, when you look at Chicago, you have a very small space. Where these gangs operate, and as you put more gang members in there, now you have competing gang activities, and those competing activities will at some point cause friction. And when we say friction in relation to gangs, we're looking at gang warfare, innocent civilians being shot by you know random, uh, random uh, firearms, uh the collateral damage, the the damage to the community, to the economic structure. Uh, it's almost cancer, I would say. Like stage one is what we're seeing occurring. In Chicago and New York.
4: Well, what about their distribution of, you know, drugs, including fentanyl? That is killing so many people. I mean, the former CEO of Google, his son, who was a freshman at UC Berkeley, he died over the weekend from an accidental fentanyl. She, she I'm sorry.
0: YouTube.
10: It was, okay. Right, I, I saw that. And again, you know, again, we're looking at the cartels. We're looking at Sinaloa, we're looking at the new Jalisco Generation Cartel, which are the two largest uh, cartel franchises in the United States responsible for bringing in the majority of fentanyl uh, in the fake pills or, or powder in, in terms of kilograms. And again, these gangs are distribution arms. Not only the Hispanic gangs, but you have the African-American gangs. You have the Southeast Asian gangs. Uh, and fentanyl has fentanyl is the, what I would call the, the golden goose. It is, it is making these gangs millions of dollars on a weekly basis. So now we have the influx of billions of dollars over the years going into gang infrastructure, which allows them to expand across the United States. I was just talking to some police officers in Montana, where fentanyl pills are selling for $100 a pill. They're being, they're being invaded by gangs coming from the Northeast section, moving fentanyl into the northwestern parts of the United States.
0: So what does DEA know? And by that, I mean, you know, we at the, at the, the local level, you know, Chicago police know who the gangs are, know who the gang bangers are. Same thing with suburban communities that have uh, that have a gang problem. And so does what kind of handle does DEA have on the activities and the personnel of of MS-13, of de Aragua? The, the interaction you're talking about or their their uh, involvement with the larger drug cartels from Mexico um, so my, my, my the point of me asking that is sort of to say, look, if you had an administration that was serious about interdicting these individuals and stopping their activity, we know who they are. We know what would need to be done to stop them. It's a matter of political will. Or is uh, the DEA, federal law enforcement, flying blind at all
10: on this? You know, DEA worked very successfully with state and local um, organizations in the high groups, high-intensity drug trafficking groups. You know, they did a great investigation in Long Island. They took down a, a, a section of MS-13. But here's the problem: it goes to the border, right? Last year, 2.5 million individuals come across that border. A large number of which I would consider drug cartel members, bank members, um, the Godotays, human trafficking trafficking aspect. So there's a re- there's a replenishment. So DEA and state and local take down, say, 100 gang members in New York or Chicago. There's another 150 that are coming on their way. So Mexico, Central South America are a limitless source of new affiliates or unaffiliated gang members that can come into the United States as teenagers, which means what? Well, they'll get accepted much easier than if they were grown adults. So that 15- or 16-year-old who comes in in 2023 is now 20 or 22 in the next five years. Now he's a hardcore gang member, right? And that creates an evolution in the gang mentality. Again, bringing very violent gang culture from Central and South America now into the United States, which is which is not prepared for that level of conflict.
0: But if 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 there was integration and if there was seriousness about border enforcement, what can would the DEA in conjunction with Customs and Border Patrol be able to say? You know, these guys coming in right here, we know they're MS-13. We know that guy's Trende Aragua, you know, from their tats or from because you have uh, essentially dossiers on them, particularly at the leadership level. You know, like we have people on the terrorist watch list that you can check, you can bounce up against the database. If we were serious about this, could we stop much of this inflow of known gang members?
10: Well, here's the issue. It's a matter of intelligence. You know, I was with DEA in Pakistan. We worked with, you know, many agencies trying to vet individuals and determine if they were Taliban or Al-Qaeda. You know, these organizations are very smart. They're going to find people who don't have any criminal record. They're going to find people who have more affiliation with terrorist organizations, and then they're going to push them through the system because they know we have a database. Now, when we look at the database and the intelligence for individuals coming in across the southern border, you know, we don't have great relations with, with Venezuela, Honduras, uh, Nicaragua, where we can tap into their criminal um, database and identify some of these individuals. But I think CBP and DEA are doing a, an outstanding job of, of targeting and removing those individuals that they can identify based on fingerprints or tattoos. But, that's again, that's a very, very small number when you look at the, the hundreds of thousands of individuals that are coming across that border every month. So, you know, again, the cartels are very smart and sophisticated, and their application and recruiting members who don't have criminal records, who can come across the border and then disappear into the homeland.
0: Right. And instead, we have no relationship with Bukale, uh, which we should because he could help with MS-13. And we have Maduro in Venezuela, I mean, incredibly threatening to send more criminals to the United States if we impose any sanctions on that dictatorship. I mean, it, it just—it's just—it's just stunning, really. And and of course, Kamala Harris was our liaison to the Northern Triangle countries. That worked out beautifully. Um, Michael Brown, global director of counter narcotics technology at Rigaku Analytical Devices, former senior DEA special agent as well. Michael, thank you for your time. Appreciate it.
10: Thank you, sir. Have a good day.
4: Thank you. And he joined us on our Turnkey Pro answer line.
1: Before you see it on TV. Share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So, damage control duty for Mister Ten Percent, the big guy, continues, and uh, it's running a couple tracks right now. Okay. One is, uh, well, probably best exemplified by Jeff Bezos' doppelganger, Ali Mayorkas. <laughs> uh,
4: I could see a little bit, yeah. Oh, I think little Bezos bit. is in a little little better shape than Mayorkas.
0: Uh, Mayorkas on CNN,
4: oh God, with Christine Young, I'm poor,
0: running the same, you know, behind closed doors. You're talking about uh, next level intellect.
2: I've interacted with the president countless times. Uh, I've said publicly the most difficult part about a meeting with President Biden is preparing for it because he is probing, exacting. <laughs> And quite detail-oriented
0: and focused. Yeah. And that's – uh, he is probing, even as I'm probing his backside, uh, uh. said Mayorkas. So um, so that's that's one line of it. Uh, nobody's really buying that. So some others inside the space that are trying to build Biden and Harris back better, yeah. like uh, Jeet Her over at uh, The Nation, they've got an idea how to address this Biden problem. Okay uh from jeet her since biden has trouble communicating he could give greater prominence to vice president kamala harris making her the designated voice lavos
4: oh, yeah that's gonna work out real well please making, go right ahead and do that
0: making the public aware that harris stands by as a ready and able alternative would strengthen the case for biden the president can also make the 2024 battle more of a partisan struggle rather than a personal one by recruiting eloquent democrats as spokeshumans. Uh, He said spokesman, but, of course, that's misogynistic. You're
4: offending me, Dan. Uh,
0: Everyone from Barack Obama to Peabut to uh, Focahontas to Comrade Bernie. Yeah.
4: Well, you forgot Senator Klobuchar. She was out there talking about what a great man... This guy is, Dan.
6: I was on uh, Air Force One with yeah. the president going from Minnesota man. to uh, Wisconsin for going from Washington, D.C. to Wisconsin for an infrastructure project. And I was with the president for over an hour and so hard, talked about really. so many things, domestic, international. He was focused. His recall was good. It was the same experience that my colleagues had who met with him for hours, Democrats and Republicans, about the East only a few weeks ago. I mean, best
4: hour of her life. So
0: that's that's the track. That's the one track. And now here are people behind the scenes saying that's not going to fly. And so you need to come up with something more than just trying to convince people not to believe the lying eyes when a full 85 percent of people think he does not have the capacity for the job. You're you're a little bit behind the. um, popular opinion right now and to just suggest it's a marketing problem and you can just buffalo people with the i'm wowed by his uh probing nature and uh exacting standards when it comes to policy discussions it's just not going to fly uh, so um there's some recognition about that from like the jeet hers of the world mm-hmm. although you know his solution sort of um is surprisingly tone-deaf, if you think Kamala Harris is going to make things better. I mean, I know we could have these moments where she takes us on a spiritual journey.
7: And now,
1: Deep Thoughts.
0: What is history?
6: Um, I say many times, especially to the young folks that I I mentor, you know, um, we can think of history as being a relay race. Hmm. And... Of course, there are then those who carried the baton before us, and then they passed the baton to us, and Mm -hmm. we who are in this room right now currently hold the baton. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that the ancestors, that the founders, and we are talking about the founding mothers and fathers of our country, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I do believe that they didn't necessarily think that we would end the race, Mm -hmm. but charged us with a responsibility to do as much and as best as we could while we carry the baton for our part of the race Uh,
4: 312-642-5600 answer line 64636 type in da then a quick comment that's
0: what jeet her's talking about right there boy She's you see, bring it home. Yeah, may give her profile, make her la <laughs> Uh well, Charlemagne the God, who is this uh, popular d j. Uh, nationally syndicated uh, urban audiences, and he's sort of been tapped by the d c. press corps as a black spokes, next generation black spokeshuman now,, right. uh, which is really distressing because he's not that clever, he's not that sharp. He's sort of a slightly less bombastic version of the race hustlers of yore, like Sharpton and Jackson. And it's just sad because there's so many interesting, intelligent uh, black thinkers out there, next generation black thinkers like uh, Delano, Delano Squires and others that um, that could be given uh, some opportunity to uh, – uh, to inveigh on the public policy debates of our time, to inform—I mean, you got Jason Riley writing the Wall Street Journal, and that's that's all well and good. But I mean, just so many more right. interesting, accomplished um, Black Americans. But you have to go with the typical next-generation guy running the. Uh, previous generation's rap, just updating it slightly. So he, of course, was profiled on this week with Clinton Foundation Donor Zero. Uh, honky Jonathan Carl was dispatched to talk to Charlemagne the God, you know, because he's down. Right. And uh, this is what uh, Charlemagne the God, small g, had to say about uh, about Biden. You know, be he wants Biden to win. He wants Biden to be successful. He completely buys into the J6 insurrection
15: prop election like you know like nobody wants to see the rematch between you know Biden and Trump and that's what makes me feel like the couch is going to win why this is the first time in my life when people say things like you know uh, this person is a threat to democracy Mm -hmm. it's absolutely true and it's mind-boggling to me that you know nobody is taking it as serious as I feel like they should like we watched an attempted coup of this country happen On January 6th, and everybody's acting like it was just a bunch of people, you know, wilding at at spring break, you know, down in Florida. Like we literally watched, you know, people try to overthrow the government because they didn't like the results of an election led by a, a former, you know, president. If that doesn't cause a sense of urgency in people, I don't know what will.
0: Yeah, sure, exactly. The first uh, coup in history done without weapons, where the leader of the coup said, uh, "Organize peacefully and make your opinions known." But uh, okay, sure. I mean, of course, that doesn't get any pushback. And so, uh, so there is your predicate for Charlemagne the God, who represents you know sort of a lobotomized uh, uh, subset of the media that serves a lobotomized. listenership so uh but we got a problem with the old man got a problem with the old man so what's the
2: solution i mean biden does make that an issue over and over again i mean he constantly
15: talks about that why is it not resonating well he's he's just an uninspiring candidate like you know there's nothing about you know joe biden that makes you want to listen to him that's why he should be leaning on you know his vice president kamala harris who's way more charismatic than him he should be leaning on you know other surrogates like you know Gavin Newsom or you know Shapiro in in Pennsylvania like he should be leaning on people who have are more inspiring than him who are more charismatic than him and he should just be I guess if you want to call it the, the brains of the operation behind the scenes like that sounds crazy that we're saying that about a president of the United States of America but he he has no main character energy at all
0: No main character. Which part is crazy, Charlemagne, that he is behind the scenes as president or that he's the brains of any operation? Uh, Yeah, but uh, super impressed with Kamala. Oh, yeah. Charlemagne, the God representing the plight of uh, black Americans. So he says. And so the honky media says.
15: You know, on behalf of the president. But I think, man, we're in a, a, a new a new era. Right. Like like for new Jack problems. We need new Jack solutions. Mm -hmm. And she serves a unique purpose, right? Because she is the first woman of color in that position. So there's things that she could talk about. There's things that she could say that I feel like, you know, he can't. And I mean, man, we all remember her in those Senate hearings when she was pressing those people, when she was like really on, you know, (laughs) she was prosecuting (laughs) these people. And I want to see her prosecute the case against Donald Trump in this country. I feel like she could go out there and really let the American people, you know, know what's going on. I'd like to see her going on outlets like Fox News. I'd like to see her going in there and mixing it up. Oh, Me too. Yeah. Me too. I'm 100 percent behind
0: Charlemagne the God. How about you? Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turnkey Pro Text Line. Sure. Oh yeah, I remember when she was prosecuting in those Senate hearings. Sure, Charlemagne, I remember. Uh those were such uh, substantial moments for her the Kavanaugh hearing for example he couldn't think of one but that's I'm sure what he's trying to remember right. uh and uh no I know and it just set aflame the passions of democrats and particularly black voters which is why when she ran for president she didn't even make it to Iowa yeah,
4: she didn't make it to Iowa cuz she's not likeable
0: which is why when she ran she's for president smart. Jim Clyburn in South Carolina said we need Biden
4: that's how bad she was. But, I mean, he wants her to go on Fox News. He wants her to debate. That would be must-watch television. That's why I want Trump so badly to pick a female vice presidential candidate because I want to see those two debate. Because when you have a male vice presidential candidate, they kind of come with you know, to the women with like, kid gloves. And I think uh, all not necessarily de-
0: de- depends on who the who, who it is. Well, uh, they better Donald, stick it to her. Donald Trump doesn't come with kid gloves. No, uh, that's for sure. So eh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But regardless, she is such a lightweight. She is such a goof. She's such an embarrassment. She is so unlikable. She's so uh, nakedly ambitious without portfolio. Go ahead. I mean, if you think that that may that maybe maybe that is better than the big guy because She's sentient. But um, uh, other than that, I mean, wh- why do you think all the conversation about how do you replace Biden it, it quickly goes to, well, how do you get around Kamala? I mean, nobody actually believes. Except for apparently Charlemagne and her mm. what they're saying about Kamala Harris, but that's sort of the desperation. And I think it's it's part desperation and it's part that they need a rationale to say, Oh, remember when Biden made that pivot and he started to lean on Kamala more and he started to enlist surrogates more? That's when the race changed. So if they are able to rig this thing up with illegal immigrants and information suppression, then we've got a rationale for when the campaign changed. Biden was down and out. But uh, but then he made this pivot and she got out there and the surrogates got out there and they started to rally the troops around the threat that Trump faced, uh, that, the, that the Trump that, that we face with Trump, the the, the ever present threat to end our democracy with Trump and the race change and it was off to the races and Biden sneaks out a narrow victory. I wonder if that's there's any thinking there. Brad and West Loop, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
14: Hey, good morning, folks. Um... You know, two things about uh, Kamala. Um, first of all, whenever she speaks, I always think of that impersonator. I don't think of her. I think of the impersonator now so, that's been on so Google a few times. And, but um, the second thing, the, the thing that scares me the most about Kamala is that she thinks she mentors people.
0: <laughs> great. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the call, Brett. Yeah. No, when she, when I'm mentoring young people, uh-huh. Yeah, uh, well, could you give us names? I, that's sort of like oh, all those uh, out of work steelworkers Obama got jobs for. Can, can anybody find one? <laughs> Mike, Northwest Indiana.
5: Yeah, the, I think the Democrat the convention would be something like a Gary Larson Far Side cartoon, I remember, where it was a dinosaur convention, and the guy at the dais is, is, is addressing the crowd. He says, Gentlemen, the future looks bleak. Climate is changing. Uh, we all. We all have the brains of, of a peanut, you know, a It's just hysterical to look at, but that's what they remind you of. It's just going to be this disaster of multi-proportions. Thanks. Have a great
6: day.
0: Thanks, Mike. Uh, Monica and Lyle.
6: Hi. I would give money to see that interview between anybody on Fox News with, with that cackling hyena we call a vice president. Hell, if we thought Fannie Willis was a disaster, this would even be more entertaining, I think. So... Have at it if they want. If they want, she wants a sister to uh, to interview her. Give her to Harris Faulkner, and that group. That would be fun too to have her go women on women. That would be entertaining as well.
0: Hmm. Women on women. Uh, thanks for the call, Monica. It could be another Fox show. Yeah. Um, well, since since it was raised, I mean, um, like that uh, Sean Farish is like the definitive Trump impersonator. Okay. This Elsa Kurt She's is the, the definitive Kamala impersonator.
4: We are here today at this prestigious
3: insert location
4: to talk with people. Okay. Okay. People in uniform, people in suits, people in t-shirts, people in dresses. And all of these people are here today together. Okay. Because we want to be unburdened by the things that have burdened us in the past. And in the present and perhaps even in the future. And as I look around, I see the sun is shining and I see that there are trees over there and there is ground beneath us and I have hands and they are clapping <laughs>
5: and I am laughing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so, you.
0: So infectious. Uh, So infectious. She's so charismatic. Charlemagne, the God. Right. Uh, Mike and Hammond.
11: Thanks for taking my call. If anybody thinks Kamala Harris
1: or Biden is going to debate anyone or do an unscripted interview on Fox News, you're out of your mind. I know Amy said she'd love to see it. Uh. It's
11: never going to happen.
0: Well, you know, never say never. You know, I wouldn't have thought that staff would go along with an impromptu press conference Biden wanted to do after the her report was released at, you know, eight o'clock at night. That was a bad call. And apparently the report was it was Biden's. So you, you never can tell. Do not underestimate stupidity. What did Einstein say? The difference between stupidity and intelligence is intelligence has its limits. Kevin in Austin, Texas.
1: Well, I think if Camilla comes out, she could start having, you know, uh, long-form interviews, kind of like Ross Perot. And instead of the charts that he would use, she would have all sorts of schematic. Venn charts. diagrams. Out there. Ven- yeah. I'm sorry, Venn diagrams.
0: Sure. Yeah, she loves the Venn diagrams. Yes. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. For the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM 560, the answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy and uh, MSNBC's Joy Reid is. Uh, she's angry. Uh, what else is new? Yeah. What now? Uh, her latest grievance is uh, well, it's a. Uh, it's an old one. But uh, it persists, I would say the same thing in Chicago, especially with the leadership of Pritzker and BLM Brandon, uh, the example provided in Evanston. Where are the checks,
6: Joy Reed? And to find out that literally Barack Obama's two terms in pre- as president are your reparations and Juneteenth, which you already
11: celebrated anyway, is your reparations, and yet you built this country, you literally physically built this country, and yet the attitude toward you from a lot of your peers and your fellow citizens is just shut up and be grateful. And it's, it's, it's infuriating.
0: She's infuriated over it. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, she's had uh, a hard scrabble life. Uh, her parents met in graduate school at the University of Iowa. Her dad was an engineer, her mom, a college professor. She had to uh, burden herself by going to Harvard Uh, before she made her way out into, quote-unquote, journalism and uh, landed this uh, Cush seven-figure gig on MSNBC. So you can understand why she wants her check and she wants it now. She's
4: a multimillionaire, and she does not descend from a single American slave.
0: Uh, The uh, movement is still afoot, though. There are various proposals for reparations. One that we uh, mentioned last week is the Reconstruction Era Reparation Act Now, or RERAN, handle created uh in 2023 that would be last year by black chicagoans i'm reading from their website reranforblacks.com created by uh, created 2023 by black chicagoans because of losing their homes due to the increase of county and city property taxes yeah somebody's been talking about that for 20 years oh wait that's me Uh, our solution is a demand that black chicagoans pay no property taxes as a part of reparations just a part Okay. Well, let's hear the argument. Always want to hear the argument. The founder of RERAN, reranforblacks.com is the website. He is Howard Ray. He joins us now. Howard, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.
11: Hello, Dan and Amy. Good morning to Chicago and Chicagoland areas. How are you guys doing today?
0: Good. Good. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. So, um, yeah, property taxes in uh, Chicago and Cook County and the Collar counties in Illinois. Uh, you know between us and New Jersey heist in the nation not great destroys home equity basically a government taking of your home but it's happening to everyone why should uh, black Chicagoans be the only ones exempt from property taxes
11: uh, before I start how, how did you guys hear about reran
0: um you know I've got a lot of birdies out there that feed me information about this and that somebody sent me a link to your website
11: okay okay well Good. The reason why we're saying black Chicago only right now, again, is just a start uh, part of the respiration, is because we're being affected tremendously. Uh, we're losing uh, a lot of the black culture in Chicago. A lot of the blacks are moving out of Chicago because of crime and taxes. And a lot of the blacks are moving to the, the red states or the southern states. And what we want to we we see the numbers, and so we see the corporate. So we're saying that by by not paying property taxes, they'll be able to be um, saved. And also, we we see that our taxes are demises. They're using our taxes to demise our community. Uh, here, they they're using our taxes to support and advocate for the illegal immigrants. But in the meantime, we're getting pushed out. And, and, and it goes back to uh, slavery, uh, the injustice that has been done uh, to, our, to us as black Americans uh, over the years, uh, from slavery to um, the, uh, the uh, Jim Crow, uh, the lynching, uh, redlining, um, just a numerous amount of things in concentration due to marijuana. Uh, you know, just recently, uh, the, the the deal, the, the bill that just passed with no representation without population act, that was another thing that pushed us out of our community. Or we didn't get money from the federal government because they were using that money to supply downstate uh, towns with the prisoner population, using those numbers to help out that help out those uh, downstate uh, resident townships that have prisons in their towns. So they use our people. That were in uh, Chicago that went to prison to 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 get those numbers so they can get government funds.
4: Mr. Ray, have you met with any uh, state lawmakers, legislators, or Brent, Mayor Brandon Johnson's office yet to discuss this and propose your idea?
11: Well, we sent emails out. We have met with um, some local um, uh, um, aldermen. Yes, we have. To answer your question, we have.
0: Anybody signed on you? Yeah? yeah. What
4: was their reaction? What did they say?
11: Well, they say, well, you know, it's a good idea, but um, mm. mm-hmm. someone says it's a good idea, but no one has um, signed off on it or spoke publicly about it.
0: What's the um, What's the qualification? Are you operating under the one drop rule for those who are el- those um, who would be eligible?
11: So basically, if you for the last hundred years uh, signed on the census saying that you are a black American uh, and, and you're a descendant of the uh, of slaves, uh, you will qualify.
0: Okay. And so, um, so uh, again, what, it, it, describing the plight of black Americans in Chicago land, why limit it to just black Americans in Chicago? I mean, obviously, you know, for example, the highest property tax rate as a percentage of home value in Cook County is actually Ford Heights. Which is ninety nine percent black. So why not include the south suburbs? Why not include all of Chicago? And why not include all of Illinois?
11: Well, it's a start, but Chicago is a big city, and um, Chicago, a lot of blacks are moving to other uh, counties, and we're trying to preserve the blacks to stay here. Uh, and it, again, we we don't want you know our people to leave. Uh, this city, when we've been through a lot, we built this city. We, you know, we, 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 we have blood in this city. So we want to preserve. And we also want to entice people from Chicago Heights, from Los Angeles, from other places to come back to Chicago and, and, and enjoy this great city.
0: Are there any uh, means testing to this? You know, for example, um, it turns out that not all black residents of Chicago are similarly situated. Melody Hobson or John Rogers, Jr., uh, they would uh, have the property taxes on their multi-million-dollar mansions uh, zeroed out, just like uh, a uh, regular middle-income black family would.
11: Well, if you're black and you're, you're 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 the descendant of slaves, if you are if you have a million-dollar property or if you're a millionaire, uh, you're in Chicago, you wouldn't have to pay property tax.
0: Okay, so the answer is yes. All right, so it was about 750,000 black residents of Chicago, round numbers, which is down considerably, as you were sort of pointing out. Um, Yeah, it turns out uh, black residents, like white residents, like Asian residents, like Hispanic residents, they don't like crime and high taxes. Shocking. Um, But they like politicians who continue to promote policies that uh, involve high taxes and lawlessness. Strange. Anyway, Uh, 750,000. Let's say to be generous, the average property tax bill is 10 grand. Is that fair? Probably fair. Uh, uh, when you look at the high end as well as the low end, Uh, even if it was five five grand, that would be what? 3.75 billion. So 10 grand would be about seven and a half billion. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about, right? Uh, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight billion dollars in property tax relief just to Black residents of Chicago.
7: Yes.
4: Yeah, but okay. where where should that money come from? Should taxpayers, uh, the white taxpayers, foot the bill for this? Well, they will. What do you suggest?
0: I mean, that's by definition right. white and Latino, Asian, and everybody well, else.
11: Well, we have a formula. Uh, we don't want to disclose it as of right now, but we have a formula uh, for what you're speaking about. But our formula. It won't um, take any away from the budget. It won't take any away from um, the the other uh, uh, people that's living in Illinois. So we do have a formula, but we're going to hold off on that until we finish talking to all the uh, elected officials that we need to talk to.
0: What about, have you talked to, like, uh, Chicago Teachers Union? Do you have any of the unions on board? Because if you have the unions on board, then you have the politicians they own, you know?
11: No, we haven't talked to the unions Any anybody anybody like that, but we're in the process. Uh, again, this is uh, a new uh, process uh, that we're putting, putting out, and our basic concern right now is to uh, create awareness and get the demand, particularly from the, the black Chicagoans. uh Once we get that demand and that support, then everything is gold. We're going to push on and we're going to um, talk to the necessary people we have to talk to.
4: Well, what about you know, Father Flager or Reverend Jackson? Have you reached out to either of them?
11: No, we haven't uh, We haven't reached out to them. again, our 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 thing is to reach out to the people because the people that are about to lose their taxes, the people who have lost their taxes, uh, we're we're reaching out to those people, and we' we're, we're, we're reaching out to the community. And once we get the community uh, where we want to get them, then we're going to reach out to everybody that you have in your mind right now that that we should think think to reach out to.
0: I mean, Brandon Johnson is a proponent of reparations. Stacey Davis Gates is a proponent of reparations, as I understand it. I I would think that they would jump on the chance to champion this, right?
11: Yeah, I mean, any, anybody that has a a a reparations uh, solution, we welcome it. I mean, this is this is this is a start. And, uh, and and we're looking for lots of ideals that, that come come about.
0: What do you think about uh, the politicians that are that are in charge that have put um, so many black families in the position you're describing, where they're losing their houses because of confiscatory property taxes or they're leaving because of the combination of confiscatory taxes and violence in the communities and neighborhoods in which they live? I mean, you know, how many generations of black representation do you need at the ward level, at the city level, at the county level, at the county state's attorney's level, before you start to say, you know, maybe it's a policy perspective that is wrong, rather than a uh, personnel problem. We just need more black representatives. We just need more people who look like us. But if they don't think right, then I suppose nothing changes.
11: Well, well, if if you see... You're going to start seeing billboards across the city, right? And on the billboard, it's stating that if the candidates aren't uh, advocating for what we're advocating for, it, this should have been done a long time. We should not be voting for the same elected officials that have been putting us in this situation since the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever, with the same philosophy. So, yeah, they need to go. And uh, we're gonna we're going to seek out new candidates. Uh, uh, candidates that's advocating for this policy. And we're going to get those people to vote this way. So that's what this election, 2019, we're going to see a change. We're already working on candidates now.
0: What's what's your, uh, Howard Ray, uh, founder of Reran uh, for Blacks.com, what's what's your background? Have you been involved in politics or policy fights before?
11: Yeah, I um actually, uh, I, I founded West Humber Park, Community coalition, and we advocated for uh, a CBA with Amazon here on the West Side. Uh, so I've been involved with that fight because we're a big. Uh, our organization a big, um, a big advocate for uh, for the CBA to become a a um, an ordinance in Chicago. Um, I um, actually at one time ran for for alderman uh, here on the West Side. So I've been very involved with the community, and so my whole thing is to uh, make this city a great city, regardless of uh, what, what race is here, because, you know, everybody should enjoy this city. Nobody should be pushed out that's, that's, that's legal here. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah,
4: well, that's what I was going to ask you. What about immigrants or illegals from Africa who've just come here that are staying on the south and west side? Can they be included on this?
11: This is only for people who are descendants of uh, slavery here in the United States, uh, Chicago black Americans. Now, I will say this, uh, across the world, slavery has went on in other uh, uh, countries, so those countries should be doing the same thing.
0: Uh, but yeah, sure, and in some cases it still persists today, unfortunately, but uh, Okay. Uh, Howard Ray is the founder of Reran, the website reranforblacks.com. The proposal is to uh, exempt Black Chicagoans from paying property taxes. All right, Howard Ray. Say, well, oh, show. Go I'll I'll
11: ahead. Say one more thing before we get up. Of course. If anyone listening who um, advocate, who who understand what we're doing, please go to our website and sign uh, the petition – and also we're looking for volunteers you can call us at 224-370-1242 please call us uh, we need your help
0: all right well uh look forward to seeing how this uh proposal shakes out and uh when you can get some people to uh you know publicly sign on rather than just privately express support
11: yeah we're going to have a press conference uh in it in in the near future probably in the next week or two i'll get back in touch with you because we're going to um release or uh, put a new billboard up on, on the west side and the south side, so we're going to have a press conference to to, to, to let t- people know. I'll,
0: t- I'll tell you what, um, you
4: should reach out to Willie Wilson.
0: Well, you should reach out, uh, to you to uh, yard sign vendor, get some regular yard signs built because I think you can create momentum for this movement beyond the city proper. I mean, certainly we have uh, the ability to distribute those signs in places like uh. You know the rich white suburbs like Glen Ellen and Hinsdale, Naperville. I mean, they'd be happy to put uh, these signs next to their "hate has no home here" signs. Um, so, okay, well, you know, I, yeah, you know, expand it regionally.
11: You. Okay, I got your email. You got my email. Can you send me that, or, or we could talk? I, Absolutely. I, I really appreciate that. Okay, Absolutely.
0: I mean, I'll pitch in. uh okay. I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, Howard Ray, founder of Reran, dot Thanks, Howard. Appreciate it.
11: Thank you. Bye-bye.
4: Thank you. And he joined us on our Answer line.
1: Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank.